On the Empire Podcast this week, we're joined by Harley Quinn herself as Margot Robbie, star of Suicide Squad, pops by. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast, it is still recovering from the worst jet lag it's ever had. And yes, I can hear you all there at home playing the world's smallest violin just for me. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Yes, I'm still slightly jet lagged after a few days in the States. You know that old saying about taking off your shoes and socks and walking around the rug barefoot and making fists for your toes? Yeah. It's bullshit. I tried it. It doesn't work. And a group of German guys with guns came in asking for directions to the Nakatomi Plaza. Huh. Yeah. That's a coincidence. It's weird. So weird. Yeah. So weird. I pointed them in the general direction of Fox Tower <laughs> and there we went. There's a Fox Tower or Fox Plaza? Fox Plaza. Uh, right, this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up is our geek queen, who doesn't get jet lag, mainly because her transportation method of choice is a dragon. Hey. Or a topless Winchester, should there be one how available does, in her how does, area. How is that a method of transportation? You've right, piggyback. That's the in-flight in- entertainment. Sam, Sam Dean comes in, right, shirt off. Always you can, with you. Can, you. you You're access, obsessed with their shirts off. You can access this on Winchester. With which is the the new oh, I see. travel app you yes. can get on your phone, and you can specify shirtless or shirt. So, right. Yeah, you know, it's like UberX. <laughs> it's exactly like that. You just climb on top, and then there well, we go. I'm going to leave that one there. Right. So that's Helen O'Hara. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Excellent. Uh, next up is our burly Northern powerhouse. <laughs> he's, he's really offended by that. Oh my god. <laughs> A man who treats jet lag with the same respect that Ian Howe showed the Declaration of Independence in National Treasure. It's Johnny Pyle. Hello, Chris, mate. <laughs> Are you all right? Yeah, I'm just uh, Googling exactly what burly means. Burly? You're, you're a big guy. You're strong. You it, work out. Large and strong, heavily built. Yeah. You're you know, more heavily Thick built. set. There you go. Lusty. Mm. Why is lusty there on the, on the synonyms? <laughs> I think it's the other kind of lusty. That's what I was driving at, Johnny. Okay. Yeah. Next next time you'll be the lusty northern powerhouse. I'll take it. Uh, right, here's a question. <laughs> uh, this is from at Sam Summer Zero, uh, who asks, inspired by Isaac and Elba's recent disappointing turns. This is uh, presumably Oscar Isaac and Idris Elba. Uh, what are the best performances in heavy makeup? Ooh. So... Uh, Sam then sent a couple of extra tweets saying that, you know, does heavy makeup, does heavy prosthetics sometimes overwhelm actors, especially maybe actors of note who aren't used to it? And then uh, suggested Tim Curry and Legend as, a, as an option. Tim Curry and Legend is a very good call. Um, mm-hmm. Virtually anyone in Planet of the Apes, the original series. Roddy um, McDowell. Yeah. Yeah. I would say anything Lon, Lon Chaney ever did, nearly. The Man of a Thousand Faces. Of course. Was adept at acting through makeup. The, maybe he, The Phantom, is that the best one of his? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he, he gave incredible, incredible performances um, under heavy makeup. I don't know, Jack Nicholson and Batman? Yeah, yeah, I guess that was, that was fairly heavy. Fairly it's heavy. weird, isn't it? You, know, you wouldn't think that... Um, who is it who told me recently they, they take three hours? Sacri Quinto for Star Trek. He says that takes three hours to turn him into Spock. You wouldn't, you wouldn't it's think. It's subtle, though, isn't it? Like yeah. it's, it's sort of underplayed. S- similar to uh, Angelina Jolie and Maleficent. There was a lot of prosthetics on her face just to like sharpen her jaw even further, uh, sharpen her cheekbones. Yeah, she really even struggles further. with her jaw not being sharp. I know, in right? Real life. <laughs> no, but it's it's literally really sloppy jaw. I thought it's, it's, every it, time it, I it literally has a corner in that film, and, and so do her cheekbones. They have. What a, do they do like to uh, Zachary? I mean, the ears. The ears. I knew. The ears. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, the, the eyebrows. eyebrows. 
Yeah. Because he didn't want to shave his eyebrows, so his eyebrows have to be covered in, with Spock eyebrows. Uh, I, I mean, then it's, I've got I've got no sympathy for the man sitting in that chair for that long. <laughs> but if you had excellent eyebrows like he does, you wouldn't want to. You know, not saying that you don't, of course. Uh, I should have, re- just, I should have uh, phrased honestly, that differently. Hang on, just here. today. Now Johnny has good eyebrows. Yeah, he does. He's got excellent hair at the moment. I have to say, you've got really good hair. I mean, I have, I have a lot of hair. Yeah. That's not the same thing. No, you've got a lot of hair, but I've got a lot of hair, but also not much hair. Uh, but a, you've yeah, got a lot of hair. Dynamic on you've got a lot of hair and a lot of hair. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hair that goes all the way across your head, <laughs> which is <laughs> something I dream of. It's fulsome. <laughs> it is. Hmm. It is. Uh, so how long do you spend the deep prosthetic chair for that? <laughs> is, this a, is this a three, four hour process every morning to get the hair going? I mean, I stand in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm. I play with it. I put it <laughs> right and then I put it left. Because oh. when it's wet, it's straight. Okay. And now and over the day, it becomes more and more Seth Rogen. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you, Johnny? Any, any ideas for this? Um, I mean, obviously, I heard the question. I went to a list online. <laughs> God for lists online. <laughs> They are saviors. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, so often it seems to be the, um, not people who are, gener- who have the ability to be hammy. So, uh, Al Pacino in uh, oh. Bugsy Malone. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bugsy that- Malone, Dick, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Dick Tracy. I love Dick Tracy. Can I just say that? I think it gets, I, I don't think it gets a lot, a lot of love and I want to be the one to give it some love. I've only seen it once and I keep meaning to revisit it. It's very hard to get hold of. Actually, I think I have it. I also really? have the soundtrack, which is excellent. Some great songs on there. There's a duet between Ma- and Madonna and Mandy Patinkin. It's fantastic. Mm. All sort of uh, Sondheim written music on there. Mm. It's just brilliant. But I think that quite often now you don't have prosthetics. Do you? you have? Uh, you have to act under layers of CGI as well. Though, so that, I almost mm. feel that's the same thing mm. uh, in many ways because you have to. It's not your face, and you're having to. Act through Put expressions it, yeah. on. So I, I, I think the answer is Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Well, yes. Oh, if if we're including CG, then absolutely he has to be in the mix. <laughs> you disagree? I, I mean, can tell. Fine. I mean, I've never seen someone's eyes roll so often and so expressively. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. I mean, I have heard. I have talked to a number of actors who've who've worked under heavy prosthetics over the years. Most notably, for example, Robert England, obviously yeah. Freddy Krueger. And you, you do. You have to exaggerate. You have to be larger and bolder. And uh, Pacino in, in Dick Tracy is a, a great shout. Ron Perlman in Hellboy. Of course. One of the most lovable prosthetic performances. Yeah, and anything Doug Jones also does for yes. Guillermo del Toro. Equally. Uh, also well, good. To not get, you know, not to get... lovable when he was the no, dude but... in Pan's Labyrinth with the hands and the eyes. Oh, you, but, you know, a person looking for love. Was he? I would say, yeah. <laughs> not not like souls to eat? No. Definitely love, you think? He was just a boy with his eyes and his hands standing in front of a girl asking her to love him. Right, that's creepy. I think. That's, okay. That was my reading of it. That, hmm. that. Do we have any Oscar winners who've... I mean, Nicole Kidman, does that count? With the nose? I mean, she had to act around that nose. Yeah, uh, Charlize Theron with a lot of, oh, yeah. you know, de-beautifying um, for Monster. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it didn't win an Oscar, but you've just put me in mind of an uncredited term, which is Gary Oldman as Mason Verger in, in Hannibal who mm-hmm. had to go through something like, I think, eight hours of prosthetics to play that character and then oh. took his name off the credits. <laughs> What's that about? How bad was the reaction to the uh, to the, the, pl- the plastic or the glue? Um, but, but for me, this comes down to, you know, uh, horror uh, performances because it is, it is Robert England as, as Freddy Krueger. But I'm going to give a shout out to the greatest screen zombie of all time, which is uh, Bub in Day of the Dead, uh, played by Howard Sherman or 
he's weirdly enough changed his name down to Sherman Howard. Huh. I don't know why. Like Z the, Zhang. Presumably. Uh, but in the film, he's he's credited as Howard Sherman. He plays Bub, who is the uh, the intelligent zombie at the heart of Day of the Dead, or, you know, semi-intelligent. And that is an amazing performance. Heartbreaking and moving under these layers of, of crumbling Tom Savini makeup. Deliberately crumbling. It mm. wasn't that Savini didn't finish it. So, you know, for, for me, there are loads and loads of answers for this. Um, but that is that is up there. That is my number one. Howard Sherman. All right. Sherman go. Howard. Sherman Howard. Sherman the Shermanator. The Shermanator. <laughs> Maybe that's why he changed his name. To, to capitalise on the success of American Pie. Yeah. I don't think so. No? no. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I'll ask him one day. Yeah. Uh, right. So, is that it? I think so. Yeah. We nailed it. Eh. Good for I, us. Have we ever? We've, we've nailed it to everyone's satisfaction with a definitive answer. Uh, but Tim Curry and Legend, that's a cracker. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to get I past that I still think Lon Chaney, well. uh, he had that name for a reason. Andy John Hurt. John, John Hurt. The, ele- the Elephant Man. Was yeah, that? we should probably clarify that yes. it was the Elephant Man we're all talking about. John Hurt's a cracker. John Hurt is a cracker. Ooh, that may be the best. You know what I mean? By a credible actor who is seen oh, as, by his peers as being one of the best in the business. Sure. But I think Howard Sherman is fantastic because he's not seen as one of the best in the business. But look how much soul and heart he infests Bub with. It's very, you know, because he doesn't just go, yeah, he, he does more than that. Mm. Yeah. So Howard Sherman, joint top with John Hurt <laughs> and Lon Chaney. Thank you. Well done. OK, so we've nailed that one. But yeah, the the whole thing about Isaac and Elba. I don't know. Was that were they? I just thought the characters were there. I don't understand I don't why think, you put quite such pretty people in quite such mm-hmm. so much makeup. But, you know, sure. Yeah. I don't think the characters are quite there. Yeah, I think it's more character than the makeup yeah. in that case. I think the makeup wouldn't have been such a barrier if we'd liked them more or been more interested in them. But, I mean, you can make characters if you're a, an actor. Like, um, no, but there Benicio was, Del Toro in Usual Suspects, there's no character there and his performance comes through. And Sure, but I think both of them tried to do something with their performance but were completely unsupported by the plot. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's my feeling. Um, anyway, we've had spoiler specials on those. We should probably leave spoilerific yeah, discussions absolutely. of those. Uh, also, the shout out to my uh, my boy, Emperor Palpatine. Uh, <laughs> he's Mc- your boy? You're claiming boy. him as your boy? He's my boy. Uh, Ian McDermott uh, in the Return of the Jedi. Fantastic performance in heavy makeup. And it's weird, isn't it, how worse the makeup gets in, in Revenge of the Sith. It's just awful in Revenge of the Sith. And it's so much better in Return of the Jedi, which was obviously made some 33 years earlier 32 years earlier that's uh, that's a weird one mm. discuss that 800 words by Monday if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast to your satisfaction as that one just was for Sam Summers uh, then do you're send welcome, them to us you're welcome Sam yeah absolutely think nothing of it Sam we're here for you do send them in via Twitter at Empire Magazine is our handle use the hashtag Empire Podcast you can Facebook us as well we're Empire Magazine and you can email us also podcast at empireonline.com hey should we have some movie news yes there was a piece of news this week that was that was astonishing that was delightful that was I think maybe the antidote to all of the bad news that has come forth from the world this year they're remaking Splash. Now you may wonder why on earth we'd be pleased about this. They're remaking Splash with Gillian Bell in the Tom Hanks role and Channing Tatum in the Daryl Hannah role. So um, I I am amused already and I just hope that the film lives up to that premise. I, I do hope the film l- delivers beyond that one joke premise of Channing Tatum as a, as a not, No, I'm not saying it's that's the, the joke particularly, but 
you know, it, it, is, it, is, the it joke. is delightful. It's the joke. But also, Gillian Bell is the sort of the modern Tom Hanks. I think that's mm. uh, that's kind of delightful. So, yeah. I'm very. I think I've always been very amused by her. She's generally had quite small but catchy supporting roles and things, including, of course, opposite Channing in Twenty Two Jump Street. Uh-huh. And uh, and I think that'll be quite an interesting kind of little mix. Yeah, certainly very interesting casting. She's uh, also very good in Goosebumps in a small role. Yeah, she was. Yeah, uh, improvised most of her dialogue in Twenty Two Jump Street. So she's very funny in that film. Mm-hmm. So we'll see her in Office Christmas Party later in the year. Oh, we will, so will we? We will. We will. Okay. So Gillian Bell, in case you don't know who she is, uh, so she is the ultimate bad guy in Twenty Three Jump Street. Yeah. The college roommate who habitually rips on Jonah Hill uh, because he's clearly too old to be a college student, um, <laughs> which of course she is as well. Which is, but I guess that's a joke. Um, and she's the horny aunt in Goosebumps who. Horny, that's harsh. But yeah, she's she's very. That's essentially her characteristic, isn't it? She no, really like a bit s- romantic. I think. Okay. But. All right. All right. Sexy romance. Sexy. sexy <laughs> okay. She wants sexy time with Jack. Jack Black. Uh, Don't we all? And who doesn't? Absolutely. So she's she's very funny, and it's it's interesting. She, you know, this could be the start of a of a breakout. Yeah, it could her. be. So, but yeah, I do hope there's more to it than just you can imagine the joke you can imagine the conversation can't you like oh can we get to play the mermaid and it's like wow about Channing Tatum that'd be quite funny and then I hope there's more beyond that I feel like there is I don't think he signs up for a lot of films without there being more than one joke in them like his fil- his comedies so far have had more than one joke yes this is true so I feel like if he's signed up he probably just didn't just do it because he found the thing funny he probably thought okay yes. there's a script here as well I mean okay. we're assuming it's a comedy <laughs> yes. Well, it's a remake of Splash, which was a comedy. So I feel like for real. But you know, they've changed like sure. certain things. I mean, how, who knows how far they'll go? Maybe it's a gritty who, urban drama. Yeah. Who or indeed? A deeply disturbing horror film because the concept of a mermaid or a merman is really just off-putting and and awful. So, mm. wow, you're really like quite harsh. Then. It, but it is. It's a, think a about person. the mermaids in Pirates of the Caribbean four. Yeah. Think about them. No, shan't. Well, think about them in uh, in Joe Wright's critically lauded Pan. Actually, they were quite good in that. That was an interesting twist on mermaids. I thought mm. I liked them. But they were terrifying and creepy. Well, you may have been terrified and creeped. I, I was amused and okay. delighted. All right. What else do we have? I mean, do we need any other news? All right, fine, <laughs> I guess. A Fantastic Beast sequel has been dated for November 2018. We all knew it was coming. It was originally pitched as a as a trilogy, but 2018 is looking like the date for that one, so a two-year wait after we see this one mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of months, uh, which, you know, hopefully is a sign that they're pretty happy with where it is and, and that they're, you know, confident in what they have and that they're moving straight into the next one. Yeah, just like with the DC universe. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, that's not... Anyway, uh, <laughs> sure. In really fascinating movie set filmmaking news... Mel Gibson and Sean Penn are going to work together on a film called The Professor and the Madman. I who is it- who? <laughs> That's a question we've all been asking for many, many years now. But this is a story about the creation of the Oxford English Dictionary. Of course, in 1857, uh, Professor James Murray... Oh, I was going to say Professor James Dictionary. No. uh, Good guess, though. Thanks, yeah. Um, That's the role for Gibson. Uh, He began compiling the OED, hugely ambitious project, of course. And then Sean Penn's in negotiations to play Dr. W.C. Minor, who submitted more than 10,000 entries while an inmate at an asylum. Okay. 
for the criminally insane, wow. not just the mildly, you know, disturbed, but the actual criminals. But people were thrown into asylums for like small reasons back then, right? Well, women were at any rate, but um, probably not doctors so much. Also, again, I, I refer you to the criminally insane bill, which suggests that he wasn't, you know, just just noodling about. So this is like an, looking a, at his a real life Arkham. Um, I mean, it's he's like <laughs> Calendar Man, but with words. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A real life. Arc. I'm really excited about this now. Yeah. <laughs> you are. So you're you're on board. We're he's working. Honestly, we should be in the room as they're developing the script. I think it would help. It would be invaluable to them. Um, I think Sean Penn's a fantastic actor, Helen, but I'm not sure he's going to be convincing as a minor. Uh, okay. He's in his yeah. 50s. No, it's a, yeah. Minor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. a surname. Chris. I get that. Yeah. Hey, um, but the, the dictionary is a fascinating and interesting subject. Is it? Yeah. Uh, very good episode of uh, Blackadder. Precisely. If it's as if good it's as that half episode, as good as that. Then we're, we're in for a, a, a treat, which can be found under T <laughs> uh, in the dictionary. Have you actually tried to... Try and, if you try and write a, an entry for a dictionary, it's very difficult. Like trying to find a net that would happily, you'd happily sit in a dictionary. It's very difficult. Hmm. I don't think I've ever tried. Or, I mean, you know... I mean, why would you have done it? Let's be honest, but... Yeah. It was set uh, as a task for us at school. Really? To try and, uh, we, we were given words and we tried to write oh, the dictionary definition of it, and it's actually very difficult. Fiddy bloggy sewed. No one can define that, Chris. I defined it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is something that obviously needs a director. Mel Gibson was apparently at one point considering directing, but is now yeah. not going to. He's passed that job on to Farhad Safinia, who wrote Apocalypto and is now making his uh, feature anyway, directorial debut, it looks like, with this one. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's an interesting film. It's maybe maybe going to be a uh, an interesting set as well, let's just put it like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it could be, yeah. Or it might be, it might be maybe, harmonious. And maybe their intensities then. will kind of work off each other nicely and it'll be, it'll yeah. be magic. It could be, like, it could be the start of a, a beautiful friendship. Hey, um... Do you guys know which actor comes first in the dictionary? You tried this yesterday, didn't you? <laughs> what was it? Alan? No, 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 no. Okay. I don't know, Chris. What actor comes first in the dictionary? Thank you, Helen. Well, Helen, I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's Alan Ardfarkin. Well, what else is happening this week? <laughs> uh, there's not a huge amount of news this week. It has been confirmed that Daredevil's Eldon Henson, aka yes! Foggy, will Come appear on! in Foggy. Will appear in the Defenders. Oh, I was excited just when you said the name. I know Foggy. Oh my word! Oh. So yeah, he'll be in the Defenders. Uh, it's not perhaps the most massive surprise in yeah. history, you know. Yeah. But uh, but it's kind of good news. It's um, it's, it's huge news. It's you huge. can't have the Defenders without Foggy Nelson. Okay. The two go together. It's like Simon and McCartney or Lennon and Garfunkel. It's they're, they're just they're simpatico. Mm-hmm. They fit. Okay. It's going to be amazing watching him do whatever it is that he does in in that show. Oh, he was really uh, likable in the first series no, of Daredevil. I, oh, yeah, 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 maybe the bloom came off the rose slightly in the second season. Do you see that uh, Mark Ruffalo has rapped already on Thor Ragnarok? Yes, it's that's exciting. That's interesting. Does that indicate that uh, he doesn't have a huge role? Uh, or, you know, does it indicate that perhaps the Hulk doesn't have a big part? Um, or You say that to his face. Yeah, yeah, to his big green CG face. Or because he is largely CG, that maybe yeah. Ruffalo just came in, ran around the soundstage for a little bit, and a leotard with some light bulbs attached to his face, and then that's it, he's done. I don't know the answer. I don't know. I don't know why I asked you, Johnny, because it, it became apparent to me halfway through my question that you didn't know the answer. But I don't think... 
any of us know the answer. I no. think if you'd uh, turned to uh, Helen, you would have got a similar black I'll look. try it. Hey, Helen. Yeah? Uh, does this indicate that perhaps the Hulk doesn't have a huge role in Thor Ragnarok? Well, perhaps, but See, it could also be that that's he's what already you do. finished. You speculate. <laughs> you don't just shut it down. I don't know, Chris. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. But did you see the uh, the other huge revelation from the set of Thor Ragnarok this week is that uh, Thor is going to have short hair because uh, Ruffalo posted some Instagram pics of Hemsworth with... Yeah, you know, not a crop, but, but long beard. Beard. So I have heard from a source that oh. will become apparent in the next issue of Empire. <laughs> uh, Who is it? No, it's a source at this point. It'll become apparent in the next issue of Empire. Do you Johnny. see who the source is, Helen? Uh, that this is a very beardy film. <laughs> so there you go. That's the exclusive scoop on Thor Ragnarok. Who could it be? <laughs> Those of you who are familiar with Chris's terrible impressions will know who it could be. I know who's in the not. next issue, and I don't know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> but we should point out that that gentleman is not in the movie, which is visiting the set of the movie. No, uh, no we shouldn't. We shouldn't point that out? No. Oh. I now know who it is. Okay. I'm there. I'm there. You're there. Mm, okay, good. Intriguing. Intriguing. Johnny, what do you got? I have news from the world of Netflix. Ooh, exciting. Uh, Christopher Guest's new film, Mascots, is going to be premiering in October. Hooray! That is exciting. And what kind of mascots are we talking here? Are we talking like small trolls that you have in your desk during your GCSEs? We're talking about sports mascots. Yeah. So people. Yeah, so people in costumes. My friend uh, Rich was once the um, the mascot down at Fulham FC. Amazing. What what is that? Is that a kind of... Badger, I think. I think it's a badger. Badger? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not the finest of the football mascots. That would be Bertie B, who is Burnley's mascot. Um, we used to have the Holland's Pie Man when we were sponsored by Holland's Pies. <laughs> so we had two. Uh, and I also like Gunnosaurus Rex. Yeah, I do like Gunnosaurus. Uh, that's Arsenal's mascot. But of course, they all pale in insignificance next to Liverpool's Mighty Red, which is a poor jobbing actor in a <laughs> in a, in a bird costume. So this so. will be more about the poor jobbing actors than the costumes yes, themselves, I'm guessing. Exactly yes, that's exactly what it is. It's the people inside and, you know, what they... I mean, in many ways, those people are the greatest performers under prosthetics. In many ways, yeah, this is tying up back together, isn't it? The pathos that Gunasaurus brings to every Arsenal match day is just... I I am so moved. I may take up watching football just to see this Yeah, I mean, what Sky really should do is they should have, you know, they have a camera that follows around one player. They should just do that for the mascot because Gunasaurus Rex is on it for, you know, pre-match, during the match, half-time, afterwards. He is just three hours of just... Heart wrenching. Oh. 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 <laughs> well, so this film should have a good start. I think it's it's good, isn't it? Because Christopher Guest is always at his best when he's exploring tiny little unlikely niches of human endeavour, like mm-hmm. per- dog showing or folk music. And this feels instantly like another such. Yeah, absolutely. Niche. I mean, the type of person you have to be mm. to want to be a star, mm-hmm. but. No one sees who you are at all, and you could be anybody. is uh, is a very interesting thing to me. I mean, it's about American mascots, of course, and they are you know bigger over there because they're on badges more. Like, I mean, Michigan State, we all know, is a Spartan. Oh, I think we all know that. And they are the Spartans, and they are Michigan State start Spartans. And I mean, Burnley aren't the Burnley Bertie Bees, although maybe they should be. And in <laughs> fact, Hull had a big problem with going like they were going to be called Hull City Tigers, and the fans went mental about it. Huh. So it's a, it's a different culture over there, and it's it's far more you know part of their sporting culture in the same way cheerleaders and all that razzmatazz. 
is. Okay. I, I I honestly I lose my shit when I see a mascot. I I have to have <laughs> my if I walk past anyone in the costume, I become a five year old kid again, and I have to have my picture taken with them. <laughs> uh, my wife and I were recently in Nottingham. And I walked past someone dressed as a giant milkshake, and I had to have my picture taken with this person. And I this, this does explain why it takes you so long to get from one end of Comic Con to the other. <laughs> it's great. I just there's something about it I just absolutely love. And if it all goes hits off me here at Empire, I would happily become a mascot. You know, because I just think there's some, I could, I think I could become a milkshake. I think I have it in me. I think that's a different thing, isn't it? Isn't that like? A, a, a guy trying to direct you to McDonald's is not the same I thing. I see them as all as, as roughly the same thing. I've, if it's someone dressed as a giant chicken promoting Nando's, I, I lose my shit. If it's someone in a giant Colonel Sanders costume, hang on a second, this is all related to food, isn't it? That's what this is. <laughs> I've just realised this. No, but um, if I go to a baseball game and I see a mascot in the States and I have to have my picture taken with the mascot, it's just something that I have to do. And I, lo- I just love the psychology of someone who has to put themselves inside a mascot every single day. Um, not in a sexual way, obviously, but in actually getting inside the costume. And I'm really excited about this, even though I really, really didn't like Chris Guest's last movie, which was 10 years ago now, for your consideration. Did you see that? It was the, patchy. I thought it was awful. Uh, and I thought it displayed a sort of either a willful misunderstanding of how filmmaking works which is weird given that he's a filmmaker uh, or the film industry works um, or just uh, it had contempt for the the film industry which I which I didn't particularly like but this one uh, as far as I can understand it's all improvised it's about the world mascot championships and this cast is astonishing why do they compete? Um, never mind I'm sure all will will become clear this cast Jane Lynch Parker Posey Fred Willard uh, Ed Begley Jr. good Chris O'Dowd acceptable yeah. Zach Woods who is so good in if you you know tall lanky US actor you saw him most recently in Ghostbusters oh, in yes. Silicon Valley that guy uh, Tom Bennett so brilliant of course in Love and Friendship we love him uh, Carrie Godleyman uh, Jennifer Coolidge John Michael Higgins Jim Pittock who's a very funny British comedian who's made it over there in the States Bob Balaban no Chris Guest himself no Michael McKean no Harry Shearer that's interesting but that's a hell of a cast so I'm excited about that well done Good work. Well done. Well done, everybody. Round of applause. October 13th, Netflix. There we go. Anything else? Or should I we move th- on I to our guest? I think that's the Nothing big news. I mean, I'm sure something else will happen as soon as we record this, but, you know, yeah. All right, then, well, let's have a guest. Suicide Squad, the latest DC Comics adaptation in which a group of bad guys are recruited by the US government to fight the good fight, uh, opens this week, opens today, in fact. Uh, at the centre of the squad sits Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, marking the first live-action iteration of the Joker's right-hand lady. Uh, Robbie was in London this week to mark the film's opening, and so we sent Nick DeSemelian, flagrantly contravening the confines of his restraining order, along to speak to her. Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, Margot Robbie. How are you? Thank you. Very happy to be chatting to you guys. How is How are all things Suicide Squad? Brilliant. And what would you say so far is the question you've been asked the most? Obviously, so that we can avoid it. Mm, okay. No, normally, normally when I do like a press tour, there is like one question that is like always the opener and the definitive sort of like starting point of an interview. But there, there actually have been quite varied questions on this tour. I'm trying to think what we get asked the most. 
it's really people just say like tell us about Harley that's kind of like a good starting point generally I guess I'll cross that one off the list yeah um, yeah just at the top. <laughs> you guys know who Harley is cool you got it you get the idea <laughs> so I, I was at Comic Con this year as was you, as were you wicked um, I saw conservatively about 30 Harley Quinns walking around 30 I saw about 300 I was like <laughs> I was so do you know what made me happiest I mean, I get really, really excited, A, when I see someone dressed as Harley, but B, when they've done it so, like, you can tell they've taken the time to look up what the tattoos are. And then you meet someone who shows you their bat and they have the exact writing that I had on my bat, on their bat, word perfect. I'm like, the dedication makes me so happy. And then what makes me even happier now is when I see dudes dressed as Harley and they've got like a beard and they're just like rocking the piggy tails and like mini shorts anyway. I was like, you guys rock. Is there a trick to it? What what makes a great Harley Quinn cosplay? Commitment. you got to commit. You do your homework. You look up what the tattoos are. You get it word perfect. Like the commitment, it's all in the details. And you learned uh, some some new skills for this, including bubblegum blowing. I yeah. Believe. No, I was actually quite pr- quite a proficient bubblegum um, blower before that. Oh, okay. So it was a skill that I possessed as a young child and um, harnessed and really elevated in this role, I think. It's actually more difficult than you'd imagine. It really is. And you've got to get the right kind of bubblegum. I, uh, you know, they're not paying me to say this, but I used Hubba Bubba on set. And I picked Hubba Bubba because when I was a kid, that was like my favorite thing ever was Hubba Bubba. And I was like, I understand the consistency, the viscosity of the gum, the texture. It has to be Hubba Bubba. I like to think that you had a gum wrangler who was just following you around and picking up the gum. And that's, I, know, that's no, no, no. I mean, really, really, Kevin, our props guy who, who gives you any prop that you would be, you know, handling in a scene. So they had a mountain of gum in the, in the props department. Because there's a question, A, when do you get rid of it? Is it when the flavor's gone? And then B, <laughs> what do you do with it? Totally. I hear you. Like all, all conundrums I, I've worked through um, during the filming of this this film um yeah look sometimes it's just not the right time to spit out your gum sometimes the flavor's gone and you you got to stick with it for a while it's just until you can throw it away in a safe place i i wouldn't you know i can't stick it on a bit of set like everyone's going to know who did that so uh i was very careful about throwing it out in the right way yeah. well, someone would have probably taken it and ebayed it so it's it's i imagine for the best people always make that joke i'm like if someone like when you know I, like, I don't know, whatever. And someone's like, I'm going to sell this on eBay. I'm like, you, if you did, I reckon you would not even make 75 cents. Like, who is going to pay for yeah, I think you underestimate gum. the internet as a whole. But <laughs> so, You know what? It is, it is a deep, dark hole that I haven't delved further enough into, maybe. Speaking of skills, I did look at the, the IMDb page for this film, and there's an entry in there under saying that on the set of Suicide Squad, Margot Robbie learned to hold her breath for five minutes, which struck me as A, probably impossible, and B, Peculiar. Is this true? Really? I, and I why? thought you were going to say it struck me as A, awesome. But well, yes, <laughs> that clearly. was C. That was C. It was implied. That was C. Got it. No, no, I did. I did. And um, yeah, that, that's the coolest thing. Like, any time you take a role, you get to learn some sort of really specific skill that then is like this party trick you have forever. So now I can say I can hold my breath for five minutes. How did this come up? Presumably it's not bubble blowing related. It is not bubble blowing related. Um, it. Uh, there was a scene, an underwater scene, and in order to shoot it, it's funny because I think people watch movies these days and assume that everything's VFX and when you see something remarkable, you're like, sure, a computer did it. It's like, actually, no, actually, we've 
figured out a way to do it in most cases and especially when you have David Ayer who wants everything to be real he wanted us to do all our own stunts he wanted as little VFX as possible so anyways we were doing the underwater scene for real and um, it's obviously a lot easier to shoot the longer I can hold my breath so that we don't have to stop or and I think the bigger thing is too is is for me to not panic like when I'm stuck you know 10 meters underwater in a broken windscreen if you have a panic attack then then you actually could drown so you have to be really comfortable underwater what, what's the trick i could do maybe 15 seconds that's I what i thought honestly when i started so they got a, a free diving expert his name's kirk and he came in and i did four sessions with him and that's really all it took i mean i wish i got to do more but by the time we got to five minutes and i was like trying to compete with ingrid my stunt double she got to five and a half and i was like i need to do another session they're like no five minutes is more than enough like no more <laughs> sessions it's fine um but but really once you have someone explain like the technical side to it and um, yeah, like once you're taught how to do it, it, it's it's actually quite easy. And then you don't, there's no knees, no feeling that you're going to freak out underwater because the the scene takes maybe a minute and a half, mm. and I'm sitting under there going like, I've got a couple minutes left, like I'm good. I'd ask you to prove it, but that would make for really bad radio. It, so. would, it might be a bit boring, especially yeah. when there's absolutely no visuals right now. <laughs> we should do you'd it. never know if I'm really doing it or not. I we should do it. We should do it. Um, I know you guys work very hard, but you also partied very hard. I talked to Will Smith, uh, and he, he said he was really having trouble keeping up with you guys. So I'm wondering, who was, who was the, the, the biggest partier? Um, oh, it's actually a tough competition with this squad. Um, I mean, I think the biggest contenders would probably be between Jai and Kara. You know, those two have stamina, which is really important when it comes to partying. Um, and the dark horse of the group, Karen. Little Karen Fukuhara, who looks so sweet. And this is her first film. She's like, she's she's wild. She's an animal. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't underestimate Cassie. Amazing. A shock revelation there. And... Um, I know Jared wasn't really with you guys much on the set, but mm-hmm. you're on the press tour with him now. Mm-hmm. Is is Mr. J still popping up occasionally? No, I don't see any Mr. J. It's really odd. Is it is it weird, freaky? It's so weird because they're just two totally different people to me. Like I can't, I can't associate one with the other at all. Just really odd. Yeah. And do you, I mean is that completely alien to you? That completely immersive method approach to acting? Mm, totally. I hadn't I didn't seen I hadn't worked with anyone who who goes that uh, who stays in character for as long as jared did and and have you had any kind of visitation with rat rat i haven't seen rat rat <laughs> we should put this in context just we quickly <clears throat> because you you were gifted a rat by jared i was gifted many things but the rat seemed to be the most publicized of those <laughs> gifts which which i have to say i'm actually happy about because i don't want to go into details of the other things i got given but um yeah rat rat um was a gift from mr J, and you know to, in keeping with the character, Harley would cherish Rat, cherish Rat Rat, which I did until he got evicted um, from my house that I was renting in Toronto. They they weren't a fan of, you know, having a rodent I in the house. I can't imagine why. Rat Rat currently lives with Guillermo del Toro, the director, in Toronto. He's got a happy life. Um, we don't need to feel sorry for him at all. But yeah, I miss him. I miss him. Does, uh, has Guillermo sent you a, a picture of him? He hasn't. Maybe I should get in touch. Yeah. And, you know. He might turn up in Pacific Rim too. Maybe. Because we'll you, were, you were saying anatomically he, he's quite an interesting rodent in that he, he has rather large testicles. He does. Mm. I don't know if that's a rat thing or if that was just a rat rat thing, but um, <laughs> it was impressive. So he could be in Pacific Rim with... with, he, with. he should be in showbiz either way. I'm not sure what kind of film, but... 
something. I've got, I've got a sort of related question in that you are doing a voice in an animated film called Larrikins. Yeah. And that's about... No one's asked me about this world, yet. World, world exclusive, but yeah. it's about a, a type of Australian animal called... A dingo. Oh, is it about a dingo? Yeah, I play okay. a dingo. No, no, no. It's it's about a bunch of Australian animals, but I play right. a dingo. Oh, I read it was about... Yeah, so Hugh Jackman is, is voicing a bilby. He's a, no, he's a kangaroo. A big red. Wow. A lot Bilbies of exclusive and big reds, very different animals. What's a bilby? Okay. A bilby is is a tiny... No, no, no. So Hugh Jackman, there is a bilby in it. And a right. bilby is maybe the least known of Australian animals, I think. Because anytime I mention it, everyone I kind of get the glazed overlook from people. But um, a bilby is a really small creature. It's... Um, trying to think what I, what you'd say it's like it's kind of like a possum rat kangaroo looking thing but it's really small uh has a long tail it's adorable though big eyes it's really really cute and uh Hugh Jackman plays a big red which is a you know a kangaroo a big okay. kangaroo interesting mm. wow and so I it's kind of an Australian though. ratatouille or, or something like that yeah totally interesting. and completely unrelated to that but watching the big short obviously you do make an appearance in there mm-hmm. How does one come across that scene? How was that pitch to you? It was so odd because I got sent this script and I read the synopsis and I thought, they mustn't have meant to send this to me. It's, <laughs> it's like a male-dominated cast. It's about financing. Like, I, I don't know why I'm being sent this script. And then I started reading it and I got to page 13 and Ryan Gosling's character's like, and now we're going to go to Margot Robbie in a bathtub. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that's really weird because I read, you know, maybe eight scripts a week or whatever, like tons and tons of scripts. I've never seen my name in a script. It's always a character. You never see someone mention real people names. It was mm. really odd. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at. And then I turned the page and, you know, I read, I read my part and I was like, wow, wicked. And then I read the, I got to the end of the script and I, I was like, I have to do this. This is an important story to be told. And though I'll be involved in a very small way, it's, uh, yeah. you know, I'd love to be. And it was honestly the, best day on set like the easiest job I've ever done in my life I did half a day <laughs> in a mansion in Malibu drinking 20 year old Dom Perignon and sitting in a bathtub like and and then I got all this credit for a film that I, I did hardly any work for really like people work their asses off for that film I got I got drunk in a bathtub for half a day and suddenly I'm at the Oscars and people are like congratulations on your film and I was like I do not deserve any congratulations at all. Are there constantly guys coming over filling the bathtub up with hot water so it doesn't get? All- it was no they were filling it with cold water because the more champagne I drank the red of my face was going <laughs> and with the heat of the bathtub I was like I've got very rosy cheeks in that scene. And of course if you had to do it again and you slipped under you could hold your breath for five minutes. I could I could I could do my lines underwater. We got to ask about in- Inferno because we were talking about this earlier. You, you, there's a Clapham nightclub called Inferno. <laughs> don't pretend you don't know it. Don't say it's like it's <laughs> I, I genuinely thing. didn't. But, um, I've heard of it. Here, yeah. tell there is some nightclub. What's Hi. the Hi. Hi. Cara Delevingne has joined us. Hey, they gave me a mimosa in my last interview. Oh, we should wrangle some more. How did you do that? I know. I took it with me. Oh, do you want Jesus, some? Jesus, what have I done? Oh. Hey, Hello, this. welcome to the Empire Podcast. Sorry, we were just up. about to start talking about infernos. You were? Yeah. Has she taken you to infernos? No. We actually haven't been together no. to infernos. No, but I've literally heard about it more than I've had about anything else mm. in the world. Have you ever been? No, but we were going to go to fabric together too. Then. We were going to go to fabric. I've never been to fabric and you've never been to infernos and both of us like claim that they're the best and... Should we do it tonight? Should we Shall we? Both, both in one? Shall we? Knock them out. 
And on that bombshell, thank you, Cara Delevingne, for yeah. cake crashing. Cool. Bye, okay. And I think, I think oh, on that bombshell, up. I think we're done. Margaret, oh, yeah, thank sorry you very about much. that. I'm okay. sure there was some serious questions to, on the <laughs> we way. We didn't but, have uh, any. We didn't no. have any. Oh, I think that covered We covered it. all the important things. Champagne, rats. infernos, rats. Bilbies. Great. Yeah, Bilbies. Didn't talk about Suicide Squad, but uh, we did a little bit. Yeah, the rat was tangentially related. Yes, totally. I enjoyed it nonetheless. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. Okay, and that's the lovely Margot Robbie there uh, speaking to the equally lovely Nick Dissemblian. Maybe not equally. I don't know. His beard is pretty luxuriant these days. That's true. And hers is nowhere to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) Right, there's really only one film to talk about this week and that is genuinely the case because there's actually not a lot out there. Studios seem to be running scared of Suicide Squad. It's going to have a monster opening weekend in the States at least. They're talking 150 million there, thereabouts. So... Is the movie itself, David Ayer's movie, is it obviously going to be a huge hit at the box office, but how does it fare as a piece of filmmaking? Is it an uptick in quality, for example, after the relative disappointment of Batman v Superman, colon Dawn of Justice? So, Johnny. Well, we don't agree particularly on the film as a, as a trio, but I think we can all agree on that question that, yes, it is better than yes. Batman v Superman. Yeah. Good. Okay, we're off. I, to I love the fact that we're a trio. Like they, like, we're like a jazz trio. Jazz. Okay. I'll cool. maybe do a jazz. I was worried for a second you were doing a banjo impression, so I didn't oh, want no. to be that kind of trio. No, I was playing a double bass, but really badly. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know. I was playing it and, almost like a and guitar. on its side for yeah, some reason. across my my hip. Anyway, uh, so Suicide Squad. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so we are in agreement that it's better than Batman v Superman. Yes. I watched Suicide Squad and really liked it and I understand that that is not the way the critical winds are blowing for this movie uh, but I got a real kick out of it I mean I don't think it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination mm. um, I mean I'll talk about the finale slightly and just say the CGI finale didn't particularly work for me the villain didn't particularly work for me it is quite messy. We were talking before the podcast started about how it seems to start twice. You are introduced to Will Smith and Margot Robbie's characters and then you introduce them again as they start to run through the squad at a meeting and you go back and see footage of them again. So it's, it's, it's a really oddly put together film. But I, you know, sat down and was in that world and enjoyed it. And, yeah. you know, I, I got a kick out of quite a lot of things and I absolutely don't think it's perfect. But in the same way, I don't think uh, the new Star Trek is perfect. But, you know, I still enjoy that to a point. And it is better than Batman v Superman. But I, I, I did like it. I liked uh, Margot Robbie and I liked Will Smith in it. I really liked, and this is mind blowing to me. Mm. I really liked Jai Courtney in He's it. He's really good in it because he has never been even approaching good in anything else. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to I'm going to defend Jai Courtney a little bit before because he's really good in Jack Reacher. No, he's not. He's good in Jack no. Reacher. He is good Absolutely in Jack Reacher. Absolutely not. Can we not turn this into your usual Reacher argument, guys? No, because we don't. We, Johnny and I agree on Reacher. We love Reacher. I know so you, it's not. Yeah, it's, but you, you know. then you have the argument about the films, and I don't. Let's just. We have arguments about the minutiae within the exactly. films, within yeah. the scenes, within yes. line readings of certain. And you know what? Reacher said nothing, guys. So anyway, Suicide Squad, you probably know already, it's Viola Davis's government wonk, who's kind of the real big bad in this film in many ways. She's a, she's a really steely presence. She is evil now. You do not want to mess with her. She brings them in together so they have a squad with deniability in a, in a world filled with metahumans. We're still dealing with this whole, oh, what does Superman mean for the world kind of thing that they tried to explore in Batman v Superman. So her idea is we get these metahumans in, we get these remarkably gifted people and we use them and abuse them and basically lose them if we need to. Um, and that's kind of the setup for the thing. So 
They're sent into action in a mostly deserted city against the big bad and the big bad's minions, which are really horribly designed. What uh, do you think? Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Okay. But at least they're, you know, a menace. They're hard to kill. And uh, and so Rick Flag, basically the one sent in with the Suicide Squad to kind of keep an eye on them, keep control of them. And I certainly think that dynamic works, the dynamic between Flag and then the squad themselves. Yeah, for the most part, I think that was really good. I think actually Kinnaman was very good in this, and it's a bit of redemption for him as well after um, Robocop, you know. Well, I mean, he's he's also in uh, season four of House of Cards. Which was also good, yeah. And in that, he's... It's clear that his head is too small for his body. Yeah. Because he's clean shaven and has very short <laughs> hair in that. But he has longer hair here, which is like given some volume. And he has a beard, which <laughs> suddenly puts his head in the correct proportion to his body. Is I this why you have a beard and lots of hair as well? I is have your a, head I, freakishly small? I have a beard to try and hide my jowls. Uh-huh. I don't agree with that. I mean, I agree with the beard to hide the jowls thing. It's the only reason I have this dreadful attempt at facial hair. But I think his head's far too big. Uh, there is a moment in this movie. I mean, movie. That, is, that is patently incorrect. No, 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 I mean, no, no. Have you seen House of there's Cards moment, season four? No, I haven't actually. But there's yeah, a check it out, man. It, it, is, it is remarkable how small his head is. Okay, he's just got shoulders about six feet wide. I it's think just there's a moment in this movie where he's yelling at Will Smith. That's predominantly what he does in this movie. He yeah. yells at Will Smith, and there's there's a bit where his head is jutting forward so far from his neck. I thought it was almost like a like a like a prosthetic uh, prop in some way. <laughs> And I thought his head was actually going to detach from his neck. Uh, it really, almost like a chicken. In fairness, it's the forward. kind of film where his head could detach from his neck. And you'd be like, oh yeah, that guy has a head that yeah. can detach from his neck. So anyway, on the film itself, oh, yeah. um, I quite liked Will Smith as well. Um, I had I had actually very few problems with any of the cast. I have some issues <laughs> with the direction and with the script. And in particular with the film's attitude to women, which I think is horrendous. And I think it undermines Harley Quinn's otherwise triumphant first appearance. I think Margot Robbie's brilliant casting. She looks the part. She, she kind of seems to get the part. But I don't think the film knows what to do with her. And I think the flashbacks to give some depth to her character damage it instead. David Ayer, I was at the premiere last night and David Ayer came out and he said, you know, this film is for real people in the real world. This film is for the fans. This film is for the people who read the comic books. And if that's all the case, he's forgotten that women read the comic books and women are the fans. And in particular, in the case of Harley Quinn, women are the ones who made her enormously popular and I don't think he gets that. But having said that, Margot Robbie is smoking. Although she doesn't smoke in the movie. No, well, that would get you more than a PG-13 these days. Yeah. So let's just go through the squad themselves in case people don't really know who's in the film and and who's who. We talked about how good Jai Courtney is in the film and he is good in the film. And he plays a character called Captain Boomerang. Yeah, with a straight face. Although on the marketing, he's just called Boomerang because they realise how ridiculous it is. Yes, but in the film, he's actually called... Yeah, absolutely. He is called Captain Boomerang. He has Um, Captain written across one of his jackets at one point as well. Did he start off as a private Boomerang? Did he go through the ranks of the Boomerang army? He is an Australian character who literally has a Boomerang as his weapon of choice. And he's a dual is that on the nose? <laughs> I don't know. But the boomerangs seem to have special powers because he throws on he it has, and then he it trick, hovers. He has trick boomerang, so that's the kind of drone boomerang. Yeah. He's got an explosive boomerang. He's got like a slicey knife boomerang. Where does he keep all these boomerangs? Yeah, he doesn't With, uh, have a lot in, of... in his coat next to his cuddly unicorn. Yeah, which I enjoyed. Sure. I But I think I Deadpool stole their thunder on that a little bit. Like, how many cuddly unicorns does one 
you know, film universe need. Not too. Well, yeah. This is, so this is this is the this counterpoint. Is the counterpoint to Deadpool. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. And the counterpoint to Despicable Me as well. So there's, there's Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Then we have Will Smith as Deadshot, who is the world's greatest assassin, and he is very much, even though it's an ensemble movie, it's it's him and Margot Robbie yeah. who are very much the centre of it because yeah. they're the, the big movie stars. Uh, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn, uh, and then there's Jared Leto hovering around on the fringes of the movie as the newest live-action version of the Joker. Now, it's interesting seeing how little he interacts with the Suicide Squad. Not, you know, We'll talk about this in the, in the spoiler special with David Ayer, which will be out next week, the spoiler specials. We're going to talk about it in great detail then. But it's interesting, given that he sent all that stuff to his co-stars during the film to see how little time he actually has mm. with his co-stars, which really must have pissed him off. <laughs> like getting, getting something like a gift from Jared Leto going, but I'm not even... I don't even have a scene with you, dude. What's going on? Why are you sending me this Because he's stuff? building the universe. He they, is building. Will, he is setting a base for future uh, interactions. He's, he's playing the long game. He's, he's basically the DC Universe's Kevin Feige. Is that what you're saying? He knows. <laughs> Not saying that Kevin Feige sends anything to the Avengers. That we know of. That we know of. But are you saying that he, he, he knows? He, know, he knows. He knows that, you know, Mr. J has got... <laughs> It's got bigger plans for this these characters later on down the line. Okay. What do we think of uh, Mr. J's Mr. J? Uh, he, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of time to do anything but be a fairly one-note Joker, but it's, it's a nice note. Yeah. I um, Helen agrees as well. She'll... Uh, she'll sort of <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so keen. So what, what didn't you like? Because... I, I get. I don't want to get into it too, too much. Uh, we'll talk about it in the spoiler special, but I he just... He didn't ring particularly true for me and again all those Harley Quinn flashbacks I hated with a passion and that that's a large part of his time on screen is in those flashbacks so is that is that more a question of you, that you don't like those flashbacks because of the Joker in them or because of what they were doing uh, plot wise to both. Harley both okay. I think yeah uh, I think I think I've because I have trouble with him that gives me more trouble with her scenes with him Okay. I mean, I think he's uh, an interesting presence on screen. It's interesting, and it's certainly different from the Jokers we've seen before. So yeah, which I think it that. needs to be yeah. as well. Like, you can't just be like, oh, he's just doing Heath Ledger's Joker. So he is doing something new. And But this is the thing, it's not his film. He is a presence in it that flits in and out, and we won't really know how good Jared's Joker is until he is in whatever he's in Let's next. see, that, that Batman yeah. film that they're yeah. talking about, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I I was worried when he was cast, even though he's a really really good actor. But um, and certainly when they when they released the first image of him with the damaged tattoo on his head, yeah, it's like yeah, hello subtlety. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's fine in the film. Uh, is he as good as Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson? I would say no, but I, I thought he was fine. Yeah, but he's not he's not given anywhere right. near enough time. He doesn't or, dominate the film. Yeah, he's the not it's not his film. Absolutely, and of course he will get the chance to dominate further down the line. I think Will Smith and Margot Robbie are very good in this film. They they are the roles are perhaps underwritten, and they bring movie star charisma to them, uh, which immediately helps you like them, which is important because the film obviously is about bad people. Um, Will Smith's character is an assassin who's killed hundreds of people. Harley Quinn is off the deep end, that's fair to say. And there are yes. other characters in this. Um, uh, Jay Hernandez is El Diablo, who's a very interesting character, who is uh, who has the power of flame. Uh, he can somehow produce and control flame. And he's one of the most intriguing characters in it, but he kills also, who has killed beforehand, dozens of people. And I just thought it's, it's interesting how the movie slowly turns these people around and, and gets you to, uh, if, if not root for all of them, at least understand and like most of them by the end of yeah. the film. So, I mean, should we, should we sum up? 
we shall sum up. I think, and I think it's very interesting that, I mean, we have uh, certainly uh, Helen and I have slight difference of opinion on, as we talked about with uh, how well Joker worked for us. But I think in general, people think the same thing about the film, that it's weirdly paced, that the villain doesn't work. And then, and so we all have the same things that we like and disliked for the main. And yet we've come out quite opposed in how how much we enjoyed the film overall. And I just actually think that's a just a, I think that's a really interesting quirk somehow mm. that we think the same things. And I'm like, I had a blast with it, and you think the same things, and you're like, not bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can see why people will really like this film and will will connect with this film. And it's different from Batman Superman, it's which a, has it's which a lot has, peppier than Batman yeah. Superman. It isn't quite so self serious. I think Batman Superman has, has its positives. I mean. We've talked about it in the past, but I do think it has its positives, and it, it, you know, visually, it's very, very good. This is a different movie; it's peppier and a bit funkier, and trying to be a bit edgier. And um, uh, it's got good movie star turns, and uh, I think it, it'll be a big hit. Um, we'll see how it holds up the next few weeks, but I think it's going to be. I think it's going to do very well at the box office, indeed. Yeah, and I'm, I'm certainly going to recommend friends yeah. go and see it, just because it's not perfect, but I think people mm. will have a blast in it. Absolutely. So that's Suicide Squad this week's big release. We gave it four stars, four stars in for Suicide Squad. Uh, get me down to your nearest multiplex. And of course, our spoiler special podcast featuring David Ayer himself, the writer-director, uh, pouring over the film with Nick Desemlian. That's going to be out next week as well, plus uh, us idiots talking about the movie too. So keep your ears peeled for that one. Also out this week is a documentary called Bobby Sands, 66 Days, which is about the IRA hunger striker, played, of course, by Michael Fassbender in Steve McQueen's Hunger. Four stars we gave that. So if you don't fancy maybe some blockbuster action, that might be up your alley. And there's also a re-release to mark the 30th anniversary of Alex Cox's Sid and Nancy, which is the story of Sid Fishes and Nancy Spungen. And of course, if you pick up this month's issue of Empire Magazine, which has Suicide Squad on the cover, there is a three-page article about Sid and Nancy with Alex Cox, an exclusive interview with Alex Cox, talking about that movie. And that's just one reason to pick up the new issue, but there are many, 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 many more. So there you go. And that is it. That's it for this week's Empire Podcast. That was right. quick. That was quick, wasn't it? Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. But we'll be joined by Baz Lerman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll oh, be he's here. the person in the issue talking about Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> oh, my God. That's it. Baz <laughs> must, Lerman is in Thor Ragnarok. Judging by your impression, that's correct. It was a completely different accent, completely <laughs> different voice. It was clear it was two different people. I'll even, I could even do a conversation between them right now, just okay. to show, okay? okay. Hello, Baz. Hello, Sam. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoilers. Then, Spoilers. And then, and then Richard Taylor comes in, right? Yeah. Oh, hang on, he's coming in now. Hello, everybody. It's Richard Taylor here. Ah, oh, hello, 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 hello. So there you go. Purposey, three different people, Incredible. all sounding very, very different. Baz Luhrmann's here next week to talk about his Netflix show, The Get Down, which launches next week, I believe. Twelfth of August. Twelfth well, of I'm August. Counting the days. You've seen the first episode. I have, and it's really cool. Oh, okay. So until then, until Baz time, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Johnny. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to work on a three-way between Baz Luhrmann, Richard Taylor, and Sam Neill. It's not as rude as it sounds. Honest. See you next week. Bye. Bye.